Okay. Am I on now? Yeah. Guys, it is just so awesome to be with you here. Um, I, I look out and I see faces that I know and have been with us, and uh, we've had some awesome times together. As a matter of fact, Duke has been coming to the Bronx since spring break 1995. Right? <laughs> um, and every trip has been awesome, and there's some, some former Dukies that still keep in touch with us, and we have a, a great time, you know, in fellowship together when you guys are there, and I just, I would just love, you know, don't limit it to 15, just, you know, bring the whole group that's here, we'll all sleep on the floor in Kathy's house, it's wonderful, but uh, seriously, you know, it's, it's uh, but we love you, and those that we met, and those that we don't met, we love you, and you've got a great thing going on here. And we just thank God for Greg and Becca and Perry and Lizzie and Eugene and everybody else that, that I've, I've gotten to know from here. We just really thank God for you. Um, I, I, was, I was told that I have 30 to 35 minutes. And it was really cool. That topic, that, that, that thought came up like 5,000 times when we were talking about me being here tonight. And the very last time that Becca told me I have 30 to 35 minutes, she looked at me and she said, and if you go over 35 minutes, bad things will happen. <laughs> and then this nice young man puts this thing on me that's electronic, and I figured out that I should if I go over 35 minutes. So I'm going to do my best not to do that, and I hope I don't like, fall all over the place. Um, by the way, if there's a rule here tonight that everything has to be said like this, I'm blowing that rule, okay? Because, you know, I, I, I'm not that way. I, I'm really blessed to be able to bring my wife and my kids with me. And if you guys would please stand. The first one is my wife, not my daughter. <laughs> it's my wife, Lydia, my daughter, Angel. Angel is a sophomore at Furman University. And uh, Tommy is in sixth grade, and he is destined to be a goalie in the NHL. <laughs> Red Wings, not the Carolina Hurricanes. I just want to make that clear. Um, I got a few things. There's a few brochures and stuff uh, about our summer internship program, and we open that door to any of you guys. You spend about half of the time in New York City, about half of the time in Detroit, and it's really awesome. Um, and, and we look forward to you guys coming back in March. And by the way, where's, where's um, Louisa? I lost you. There you are. Um, I'll get the dates from you tonight, and uh, I'm going to do my best to be there for you. Um, but out there and up here are some little business cards. And the business cards on the back have our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our blog spot, and stuff like that. And um, I, I must have brought maybe 100 of these with me tonight, and I don't need to take any home. So uh, grab them, get on our, our Facebook page, get on our, our uh, YouTube channel, on our website that I just spent two and a half days renovating the whole thing not even taking phone calls, not even eating, not even going to the bathroom. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, but uh, seriously, I don't have enough of them out there, so these are here, or somebody can run and put them out there for me, or whatever. There you go. Thank you. Um, you'll take care of that when we're done, okay? Um, by the way, there is, there is one order of business that I have to take care of before we go. Justin, please stand. Justin, please stand. Everybody, this is Justin, if you don't know Justin, okay? And Justin has a Facebook page. <laughs> when Justin left New York, he put on his Facebook page, the pastor is a Hispanic man who looks like an Italian mobster with his hair slicked back. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you can sit down forever, Justin. <laughs> A Hispanic man. <laughs> if you say my last name Grassano and you do your header, okay? I really am an Italian mobster. Let's speak Spanish, okay? I have an Uncle Vito. My grandfather was Benedetto, okay? But I don't know. You guys are talking random. That was like totally random. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, I brought I brought some pictures, and uh, everybody wanted me to show pictures instead of talking. So um, they are like totally out of order. That's the last one. That's really cool. <laughs> there we go. Okay, just some images of some kids in the South Bronx. When we went to the South Bronx, the neighborhood we we were in, affectionately known as Fort Apache, the Bronx, had the poorest community per capita in the United States, 54% uh, of the households had an annual household income of $11,400 a year or less. Average individual income about $7,200. Um, unemployment was about 45%, okay? Not only that, but it's infested with, uh, with crime and drugs. 75%, um, about 85% of kids are fatherless or more. 43% of parents, of grandparents, raise their grandchildren because of AIDS and drug addiction. And 25%, still today, 25% of expectant mothers in our community are HIV positive. So therefore, you have a lot of children being born with AIDS. And we have had not only children with AIDS, but children who have lost one or both parents to AIDS at the Harvest Center in the Bronx. That's the community the Lord called us to, and he called us to that community after spending years of studying urban missions and becoming an authority at it before we went there. Just kidding. Um, actually, my doctorate is in music. Isn't that funny? That God would take a musician from a concert stage and set me on 148th and Brook in the South Bronx. But that's what he did. And I can tell you, just kind of taken off from what Perry said, and really I could just sit down and let Perry talk the rest of the night, but um, there is nothing more rewarding and more in the entire world than investing your entire life to see one person change. There's nothing like it. And I challenge all of you, especially those of you who are seniors, to evaluate really hard what can I do with my life? And don't ask it as far as what can I do with my life as far as job position and school and all of that. But what can I do with my life? Or even better, what can God do with my life to change the world one person, one family at a time? Go to the next picture, please. Um, yeah, these are like totally out of order, so we're just going to wing this, okay? <laughs> these are, this is actually uh, some apartments in, the, um, in Detroit um, filled with uh, drugs and prostitution. We walked in there one afternoon in uh, 2005 with me in front of a bunch of people, me with a guitar, and uh, in the next few hours, more than two-thirds of the residents of those apartments found Jesus Christ as their Lord 
for the first time in their entire lives. Go to the next slide, please. This is just another example of, um, of my wife doing what comes best to her, and that is just sharing about how wonderful Jesus is. Next one, we'll just be surprised at what comes next. Okay, here we go. This is really cool. It's scripture from 2 Corinthians uh, 3.17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, that there is liberty. That's actually all of City Hall in Detroit, and in front of it, there is this awesome statue, which is probably not the next picture, but we're going to try it. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, and, it, and it is called the Spirit of Detroit. This is a disaster. Um, and, but, but what's really awesome about that is Detroit, you know, God kind of took us from the poorest, most violent community in the nation to the poorest nation. Detroit is number one in the nation for violent crime, murder, foreclosures, unemployment, a high school dropout rate, poverty, and believe it or not, also the most churches per capita of any other city in the U.S. There's a disconnect here, isn't there? God sent us there to try to, to bring more of a connection. We're not establishing a harvest center in, the, in Detroit. We're helping lo local churches become harvest centers in their own community and turn the 25 blocks around their church upside down for Jesus Christ. The next picture, this is a 13-year-old boy. We met him when we first went to the South Bronx. Um, he eventually had to flee from the South Bronx because at 13 years old, he was already running drugs for drug dealers and he stole some money from a drug dealer and they were trying to kill him. You get this idea that, oh, drug dealers, evil, bad, oppressive, awful, standing on buildings ready to shoot you as a sniper when you walk by, stuff like that. By the way, that street is called Calle de la Muerte, Street of Death. Um, but it's not that way anymore, thank God. But uh, I'll give you an example of one guy is his... Uh, street named Spike. Um, Spike's a pretty, pretty mean guy. But you know how he started selling drugs? His father died. A couple years later, his mother died. He was 18. His brother was 17. His sister was 15. He had good grades and graduated high school. But he couldn't get a job anywhere, no matter how hard he tried. So to keep the city from taking his brother and sister from him and throwing them into a pitiful foster care system selling drugs to be able to pay the rent and support the family. Now, selling drugs is not a noble thing, but his purpose was a noble thing. And we found that a lot of these guys have the same needs that everybody else does, and they're hungry and thirsty for truth. Let's see what's next. Oh, yeah, just a couple other drug deals. By the way, those of you who have been to the Bronx, those guys are standing in front of the front. Isn't that pretty cool? Next slide. Yes, that is what the Harvest Center used to look like. That, that building, it's an old casket factory. It was abandoned for 30 years, used by drug dealers, drug addicts, and gangsters when they would kill people, would throw bodies there, and they'd hang a stuffed animal on a dead tree outside to instill fear in the community to keep out of our business. That's not made up. That's the truth that it's into. Keep going. We'll see, hey, wow, we're in order now. Um, this is what the building looked like. When they started renovating it, the ceiling fell through to the basement. Keep going. And this is what all of the South Bronx looked like when we went there. In, uh, in the mid-90s. Next one. Um, this is back in Detroit now. So, um, but it's just a, a beautiful example of what God's doing in Detroit. We have African-American, white, um, Hispanic, Arab, all denominations, all parts of the city working together hand-in-hand -in, -hand in unity to see change come to the city of Detroit. Next one. Okay, one of the things we do is lead people in prayer. It sounds like, wow, that is the simplest of things. You know how God turned the South Bronx upside down? 
After three and a half years of us beating our heads against him, and it wouldn't happen, I got before the Lord and I begged the God for some, for some things to happen, and he told me to do two things. One was a personal thing that I did, and the other, he said, I want you to pray over every household in a one-mile radius of the Harvest Center. Well, that represents 80,000 people for us. It took us three and a half years, but we went to every door, and we prayed for every family. By the end of that three and a half years, the crime rate went down, because there were no more drugs in the parks and playgrounds. Kids were playing in the parks and playgrounds. You could go into the parks at night. Uh, unemployment went down, new businesses started, slumlord housing was torn down. All of those things happened because God's word is true. And he said, if my people pray, and we did, and we believed his word for what it says. Theologians and intellectuals try to figure out all of this stuff about God who is immeasurable and omnipotent and we can't figure him out. It's so much easier to accept him by faith. Simple, childlike faith. And just believe God when we pray. And awesome stuff happens when we do. Let's go through the next ones. Uh, these are just some examples. We, we, after forcing for the city of Detroit, we lead people downtown and we walk the streets and pray. And These are people that were just broken before the Lord as people that hated their city and God put such an intense love within them for their city, they began to pray with the passion of God for their city. Same thing, keep going. Just some beautiful pictures of prayer on the streets, seeing God. We, we have, go back one. Can you go back one? Prayer stations. Sit table, put a sign on it, says prayer station. God cares on the other side. Put tracts and Bibles on it, give them to people, and offer to pray for people, and people's lives are changed. And what you guys saw in the Bronx is nothing in comparison to what God has done in Detroit. We had people waiting in line six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes for prayer. We had Muslims waiting in line for prayer. We had cab drivers People in cars, city but their buses, opened their doors and asked if we would pray for them. People are hungry and thirsty for God in the city of Detroit. It's incredible. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Just keep going. Yeah, there, see, there's the bill. I told you. Okay? But what's cool is that this guy represents man, and the whole purpose of this thing called the Spirit of Detroit is that the most fundamental and most important relationship that we have is the relationship between God and man. And in his hand, he holds a family, a mother, father, and child, and they're worshiping God. Next one. Here's an example. Uh, Muslims hearing the gospel. Muslims opening their hearts to the gospel and listening to the truth and coming back every day and opening their homes for us to go and share about Christ there, okay? Thanks. Um, how much time do I have, Becca? I've got a stopwatch going here, so that'll help me, okay? Um, I want to I go to a, a passage of Scripture just for a few minutes. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. There's this incredible story meeting a Samaritan woman. Now, if you don't know what Samaritans were, Samaritans were the rejected, despised, the cast out. I mean, they were so despised by a real Jew that for Jews to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, they would go 25 miles out of the way to get to Jericho on the Jericho Road and not go through Samaria so that their feet would not even touch the ground that these people love them. Talk about racism. Okay? Well, Jesus, the, the scripture tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And it's awesome that the scripture says he had to go through Samaria because a good Jew didn't have to go through Samaria and wouldn't go through Samaria. But Jesus had to go through Samaria because there was an eternal purpose 
to this walk he was going on. We, as Christians, hopefully, eventually, become cognizant of the fact that there's an eternal purpose in a lot of stuff that happens in our lives. The scripture says in verse 5, eventually Jesus came to a Samaritan village that was near the well that Jacob had dug. Jacob's well. I love that word eventually. When we read the Bible, we like fly over words and we don't catch what they're really saying. This word eventually grabbed me when I read it because what eventually really means here is that 2,000 years before this happened, there was this meeting in the throne room of Almighty God and God looks at all spirit. I want you to go down and tell Jacob to dig a well because 2,000 years from now, my son is going to meet a despised, rejected woman and for the first time on earth, he's going to utter these words, I am the Messiah. So Jesus sets out in this walk, and he knows exactly how fast to walk, exactly when to stop, go down, whatever he needs to do, so that he can intersect with this woman at noontime at that well. Jesus works like that. It's awesome. And he meets this woman at noontime, and that's significant because a prudent woman doesn't go to the well at noontime. She goes in the morning. But this woman doesn't go in the morning. Why? Because she's already, the man that she's living with now won't even marry her and give her his, his name. She's rejected. She's lost love over and over and over again. And the whole town knows the life that she's lived. So she doesn't come in the morning when the other women are there and face their ridicule. She comes at noontime when nobody else is there. And she gets there, and Jesus is sitting by the well. And the scripture says he's tired physically, humanly, and he's thirsty. So the woman comes up and Jesus looks at the woman and Jesus says, give me something to drink. And the woman is absolutely amazed. What is a Jew asking me, especially a woman? Why are you asking me for something to drink? And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, woman, if you knew who you would ask me for water because I would give you water that you'd never be thirsty again. And this tired, rejected woman takes these two huge water pots that she brought to fill with water to take back home and she sets them down and she looks at him and she says, please sir, give me some of this water so that I'll never be thirsty again and keep coming to this well. And you begin to hear the weariness and tiredness of life, of her experiences. Jesus, when, he, when she says this to him, Jesus says to her, woman, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the man you're, married, you're, you're with now, you're, not, you're living with him, but you're not married. You spoke the truth. You, you don't have a husband. And then the most awesome thing happens, guys. And it's another one of those things that, that we overlook, you know? Understand now, and I know I'm kind of flying through this because I don't want to get electrocuted here, but um, that this woman has lived a rejected life. We get that, right? Five marriages. Five times in the custom of the time, the guy wrote a letter of divorce and said, I don't want you anymore. Five times thrown out. Every time she had hope. You get 
Anybody know what it means to have hope and have it disappointed? Five times. Now she's with somebody and he won't marry her. And she meets a guy who knows her life. Now she has the opportunity to look at Jesus and say, Oh, oh great prophet, you're obviously a prophet, so I need to ask you something. I'm so tired of living the way that I am going to marry me. Is this real love? Do I need to walk out before I'm hurt? Do I need to go somewhere else where I find real love? I'm so tired of living the way I am. Would you please tell me what tomorrow holds for me? Would you please help me figure it out? Doesn't that make sense that that's what this lady would say? And wouldn't you say something like that if you were in her position? Guess what? She didn't say that. She said... Let me ask you a question. You Jews say that the only place to worship God is in Jerusalem at the temple. And here we have different places in Samaria to worship God. Would you please tell me, great prophet, where can I worship God? Now that may not grab you like it grabs me, but man, that grabs me. That with all the crap that through in her life, she finally has an answer an opportunity to get the answer that she's been looking for and we find out that what she's really been looking for is not a husband, but God. Truth. Unconditional love, grace, mercy. That's what she's been looking for. And that's when Jesus uttered those words, he utters those words and he says, those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and truth because the Father is looking for people who will worship Him that way. And the woman immediately responds and reveals something else about herself. I know that Messiah is coming. And when He comes, He'll exist. Now we understand why God took Him eventually for about 2,000 years. Why God in the person of Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, walked into the area that other good Jews wouldn't go and sat by a well waiting for a woman to come because she was hungry and thirsty and looking for Messiah. wonder, she threw her water pots down and went running to the village when Jesus uttered those next words to her for the first time on earth. And it's amazing, isn't it? That he didn't say it to a Pharisee, he didn't say it to a rabbi, he didn't even say it to his disciples. He looked at this rejected woman and what did he say? Woman, I am the Messiah. Pots down, she runs to the village, and this woman who went at noontime to stay away from everybody stands in the city square and shouts out, Come meet someone who knew everything I've ever done. You know what I read into that? I read into that. You guys know everything I've ever done. He doesn't, but he does, and he knows more than. Could he be the Messiah? And the whole town runs out to meet Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples show up. They went to the same village. They brought back bread. A rejected, wounded woman went to the village and brought the whole town to the feet of Jesus. Disciples come. They don't even know what they're coming for. Uh, Master, we got bread. And Jesus looks with a little bit of disgust and he says, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. Somehow, though the disciples had been with Jesus for a while, they missed something in the mix of this whole thing. 
Somehow, they missed something. They, Rabbi, she found Messiah. They found a really cool short-term missions trip, okay? She found freedom and forgiveness. They found bread. She found life. They were observing, but she was thirsty. My Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, if you, if you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found. He says in Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Authentic Christianity. How do we define it? What is it? What is it not? Well, it's not a benign, impotent, intellectual pursuit. It is something that rocks your world and changes your soul. It's not another topic for critical analysis and discussion. It's an invitation to intimacy with Almighty God and dialogue with the Creator. It's not even necessarily manifested and oftentimes not at all through the pomp and hoopla of what we call church. But it's manifested through the church of Jesus Christ, the believers, where the Son of God, Son of Man, is very actively engaged in the affairs of man and demonstrating His love and His glory and His majesty to you. I'm afraid that this generation, many in this generation, have not seen the radical life change of the awesome power of Almighty God. Or know the real presence of God in their lives. That's what we who know Him must lead them into. Because it's real in me. It's powerful in me. I, I, was, I was actually going to share with you some ways that Christianity in Vietnam and in Cuba and in Brazil and other places, but I, I, I choose instead, again, before I get electrocuted, I, I choose again to, to share with you about us seeing authentic Christianity across the table from us in a pizza place just a few nights ago. Where this, this lovely couple, many, many, many high church people would consider them to be simpletons. He can't work anymore. He's not old at all. Lydia, I guess, what are they, around in their early 50s? And he already has Alzheimer's. Some days he can't remember. He can't work. She works to make ends meet. And they love God. And they listen to his voice and Crazy stuff, I mean, crazy stuff happens, right? Like, they go to the store, okay? What was it? William Sonoma or something. They went to the store. Saw they, he loves to cook, and he cooks for people, his neighbors and everything, and shares with them about the love of Jesus all the time. And so, well, he loves to cook. So they see this fry pan, and it was like a $200 fry pan. You know, like, I don't know how you... I mean, a $10 fry pan cooks eggs just as good, in my opinion, as a $200 fry pan. But anyway, he, he sees this. He wants it so bad. Anyway, they checked it out. They set it down. They started to leave the store. And the woman who works there said, excuse me, do you like that fry pan? He said, man, it's like, this is my dream fry pan. I've never seen a fry pan like this before. It's the most beautiful fry pan I've ever seen in my life. Would you like it? Oh, I would love to have this fry pan. I really would. But I, I, just, I just can't right now. She says, no, you don't understand. 
She said there was a couple that was, this was in Greenville, South Carolina. She said there was a couple that was here and they bought this fry pan and they drove all the way back to Atlanta and here in the store and they called me up and they said they can't come back and get it. Give it to somebody in the store. Would you like this fry pan? And, and the guy just joking, joking said, well, you know, I had this $10 coupon that I was going to use. And she said, well, give me that and I'll give you the $10 back. He goes to a store. He doesn't have the money to buy groceries. He goes to a store at the store and says, take this cart. And he says, no, God, I want to get a cart inside. No, please, we're supposed to give you these carts. No, I really need to get a cart from inside. And the guy's insisting that he take the cart outside until, until John finally says, the Lord told me to take a cart from inside. Because the Lord spoke to him and told him to get a cart from inside. So this guy is following him around. That's the kook that said God told him to get that cart. So he gets the cart, he's going through the store and all this stuff, and then he looks down in the cart and there's a hundred dollar bill. And that's what he buys the groceries with. These people live this way every day. Every day. They trust in who God is. They trust that this breed is true. They, they trust that if I believe him when he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, it's true. That we can ask in his name and it shall be done. That if I confess my sins, he's faithful and righteous and will forgive me of all of my sins. And cleanse me from righteousness. It's true. When he says, I love you, I've called you by name. I've chosen you. You are mine. It's true. It's true. We're already getting offended and leaving. Isn't that amazing? We can try to find all kinds of ways to identify what is authentic Christianity, but authentic Christianity is really when we, when we believe who He is according to His Word, and we accept Him for who He is and believes that He accepts us for who we are. And we throw our lives into His hand and, and take a chance at living a radical faith. Not this stupid thing that we say, oh yeah, I want to jump in the river of God. And we get to the river and we walk in ankle deep. And we go, oh, Jesus is nice! And we walk away. Okay? If we're really brave, we get into our knees and then into their thighs as long as their feet are still anchored. But the one that pleases God is, is the, the one that just takes off running and goes airborne over everybody and jumps in the middle of the river and he's there going, whoa, like that, because the current is taking him wherever he wants him to go. I got this weird way of figuring out the will of God. I really do. Just set your heart on Him. You're waiting for the next step. There is no next step. Just set your heart on Him. The way I look at it is this, okay? I, I, I drove today from Greenville, South Carolina to Duke University. Okay? To my destination because she sent me the directions. I knew the address. But I didn't know what was going to happen on the way. I didn't know what the weather was going to be like. I didn't know when we'd need to stop for gas. I didn't know when we'd need to stop to go to the bathroom. 
room. I didn't know when we'd to stop to get a snack. I didn't know when we'd have to do any of that stuff. I didn't know who we'd see waving on us. I, I don't know all those. That Duke was my destination. And that's the way we need to live. We need to live. My destination is not graduation. My destination is not getting a job. My destination is not graduate school. My destination is not relationship. My destination is not marriage and kids and family. My destination is Jesus. And I guarantee you that if you keep that focus in your life, you can't help but stumble on all the other stuff that he has for you. It'll be exciting. God wants us to live this, this other faith that we don't hear about much anymore. You know, the Jim Elliott faith. The faith that says if I lose my life in Ecuador, that's fine. The faith of Galatians 2.20, with Christ I have been co-crucified and I don't live anymore. Jesus lives in me. In the life that I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. It's that kind of faith that will take it to the edge of having to make this choice. Am I about to be electrocuted? I really am going to finish in a couple minutes, okay, so bear with me. It's this kind of faith of making a choice. What do I do? And if you're foolish enough in the world's eyes, and bold enough in God's eyes, to make that leap into the unknown, and step out of the boat, and just see what God could do when I, when I performed for Ronald Reagan, I had no idea I would be on the streets of the South Bronx. When I conducted at the Tampa Bay Performing Arts Center, I had no idea I'd be in the South Bronx. When some of my music was performed at the National College Music Society Convention, I had no idea that I'd be in the South Bronx. But I'm so glad that I went to the South Bronx. I'm so glad. Look over here. What would have happened if we would have made one different choice? Thank you, God, for leading our lives. You can change the world. And be more fulfilled and happy doing it. I mean, look what happened with some loaves of bread and fish. You say you can't do anything. God will through you. You say, I don't have the capacity. I don't have the funds. I don't have the ability. I don't have the sponsorship. God says, you have me. I'm all you need. And throughout Scripture, throughout history, that's what he's done. With, with a girl named Esther that chose to be pure and holy before God. And look what God did. Girls, don't give that up. With a guy named Gideon on Peon, and God used him in 300 to rout 45,000 of the enemy. The list goes on and on from the Scriptures to, to 11 guys. And the one that you least thought that could never get it turns out to be the leader. And this poor sickly guy with bad eyesight turns out to take the modern world, named Paul. And then you've got your Luthers and your Tendale, Warren Cunninghams and Bill Brights and all these guys that just took a risk and said, I believe I know what God says. And you say, but they are giants. I can't do anything. And the scripture just yells and screams back at you from James chapter 5. Elijah was human as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly, the Lord stopped the rain for three and a half years. Whoa. That's deep. That's deep. So what can He do through you? What can He do through you? What can He do in you? Who can be changed because of you? Who can He take 
you eventually to stand at a well with them and bring life to that person. I don't believe these only came for that kind, you know, that Samaritan woman. That's the poor people, you know, some people say that. That's the people, the lost, the unloved, the rejected, the sick. He came for the sick and not for the well. And I believe that. He came for the sick and not for the well. Sick, I define some people who are sick as prideful, lonely, self-indulged, self-reliant, me-focused, messed up relationships, pursuing the favor of man, self-reliant, afraid, vision that can only see what they see before them, unfulfilled, empty, and sin that separates them from God. That sounds pretty sick. And it may not be like the people in that apartment complex, but sick. And he came for them. And he can use you to see them changed. He really can. But I'm going to conclude with this one thought. There's a lot of things about Christianity that I still haven't figured out. There really are. There's a lot of things that I don't get. I really don't get. For three and a half years, I didn't get why my father, a godly man, took the gospel to 70 nations, pound the world through his ministry, was more known for being a man of integrity and dignity than he was the places he went and the people that he touched. But to see him suffer for three and a half years, and the last year, year and a half, what he went through, how vividly I remember walking into the Brighton Gardens Nursing Center, and as soon as we walked, Dad yelling in pain from all the way down the hallway. You know what that does when you love somebody? Maybe you've walked through that. What that does in you when you love somebody that much? And I confess to you that my faith has just not worked out good enough to figure out why that godly man had to suffer the way that he did. But I figured out we suffer because there's sin in this world and he got sick because we have frail bodies that get sick. No other reason than that. But two nights before Dad died, I sat in his room and by myself all night long. And the Lord met me there. And somehow he was able to reach deep within with the anger and the hurt and everything else that I had and just remind me of his love. No, not everything makes sense and not everything's easy. But everything, good or bad, can be if we allow it to be the demonstration of the glory of God. That's the way He calls us to live. That's the way He calls us to commit ourselves to Him and not, not be so caught up about the fact that God, Lydia, are we going to be able to pay the bills this month with the way the, the charitable giving and how it's affected us? And No. Be thankful the fact that right now, today, we have what we need today. We're blessed with what we need today. And today, somehow, God, help me to bring glory to your name. You know how the Harvest Center started? More. Those young people that needed hope and needed direction. So I left what I had, and as you quoted so well, chose not to maintain 
a sterilized distance from the reality of human pain. Each of you could do something like that. Or God may, God may take you somewhere else, but wherever he takes you, he must be first, above all. And if he is, if he is, then maybe you can get out of standing knee deep, or standing thigh deep, or standing hip deep, and take that plunge into the deep, the God who says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I, I conclude with this because I know that there's some here tonight who haven't made that plunge. You've been fearful to make that plunge. Maybe you've been coming to big group and IV and church for a while. Maybe you haven't at all. But there's the Lord has me here. I believe it's in His providence that I just said November 13th and then it said, yeah, that was really cool, wasn't it? Okay? I don't know all the reasons we're here. We're being blessed to be here with you. But please hear strong tonight. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So commit 100,000% to knowing Him and walking with Him and going deep with Him. And don't be afraid. Yeah, there's going to be a little fear involved when you jump off a cliff. But he catches you. And he carries you. In this room, I see families, I see businesses, I see schools, I see villages, I see towns, I see cities. They can be turned upside down for Jesus Christ with those that are in this room. Would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes for just a moment. that have been faithful and have walked with you and have done their best and the opposition has come against them to keep them from doing it but Lord you've allowed it to deepen their faith take them deeper and deeper and deeper into you graft them into you let them just grip you like that mighty man of David's that gripped the sword and fought all night long until his hand was clenched to the sword and he couldn't let go make us that way that we clench to the sword of our faith and never let go. God, the ones, despite the fact that it's Duke, feel a little bit like that Samaritan line. Lost, afraid, alone, hopeless. I know you're here. Jesus comes to sit with you, to embrace you, to love you, to heal you. May the lie never think that this is the way it's always going to be. It's not. And I speak that from the Lord. It's not. It will change. So you young lady, hold on to the truth. Because he loves you. And he cares for you. And he's speaking to you that you are accepted just as you are. Lord, for the ones that have kind of stood aside and said, I don't know about this Christian thing, maybe they haven't seen the authentic representation of trusting you. I see it in this room. 
may they be grafted to. I pray for the leaders who are here to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper with you into who you are. To know you radically. And never limit what Almighty God can do. Because you are God. And Lord, if there's one person in this place that have not yet been able to sing with all of their heart, what can wash away my sin? What can make me nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus, then right now, help them to reach out and just simply say to you, God, I need you. Forgive me. Come into my heart now and start a new walk in my life to get to know the reality of who you are. Being here. Thank you for the time. Thank you for these students. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being with you. We're going to kind of hang out here a while tonight so that we can connect with you guys for a while. But uh, I hope I can come back. And I hope it won't be like umpteen years that it has been. But to seeing all of you at Kathy's house in the Bronx over spring break. Okay? <laughs>